Hello and welcome to episode 64 of the Corinne Ninja podcast, formerly the When Life Gives Lemons Go Vegan podcast. And this week, well, every week, we share people's incredible stories of recovery after adopting a low-fat, whole-food, plant-based diet. And sometimes we have doctors, other experts, nutritionists, psychologists, psychiatrists, all that kind of thing on the show. And this week is a story that is really, really personal to me because it is a prostate cancer story. And as many of you know, my father is currently having treatment for prostate cancer while he's waiting on results from his treatment for cancer. And so I was really excited to have the wonderful Dick Sloan on the podcast. He is from healthwarriorway.com and Health Warrior Way on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and all of those places. So you can find him there and he offers coaching support and services for people with any kind of chronic illness. But obviously his personal story is in prostate cancer recovery and yeah, I, he, he was 49 years old when he was diagnosed with prostate cancer, and that is really quite young. That's only 10 years older than I am right now, and I still feel very young. And as many of you might know, it can come with side effects such as impotence and incontinence and um, the treatments um, as well. And it's not something that any man wants to spend the remaining years of their life dealing with. Now, this isn't an every single time side effect, but it is a lot of the time a side effect of of prostate cancer that you, you lose, you get erectile dysfunction or impotence and you um, lose control of your bladder. And most men like my father and like Dick himself, that's a consequence of the disease or a side effect of the disease that most people would want to avoid. And so hearing Dick's story and, you know, obviously there is there was research done by Dr. not obviously, but Dr. Dean Ornish put some research out around prostate cancer as well in a whole food plant-based diet with great, great results. So if you live if you have someone, you are you are someone that is living with prostate cancer, I definitely recommend you checking out Dean Ornish's work and research into prostate cancer as well. And obviously read the China study and those kinds of books from experts such as T. Colin Campbell and, you know, Dr. John McDougall. There, you know, there are so many doctors out there now and the clinics such as True North Clinic, uh, Ian Gawler at the Gawler Foundation here in Australia, at uh, the Yarra Valley. Uh, they're all doing wonderful work with lifestyle treatments for cancer, um, with diet, meditation, exercise, all those kinds of things. So juice fasting, that kind of thing. So I highly recommend checking out, you know, definitely if you're in Australia, checking out the Gawler Foundation online and their cancer programs and retreats that they host out at the Yarra Valley. They're incredible. They've helped so many people, myself included. I went to their multiple sclerosis retreat in 2006 and it changed my life. And if you're in the States, you know, True North Clinic and... And the work of Dean Ornish, if you're especially interested in prostate cancer, I hope I'm getting that correct. If I'm not, please let me leave me a note in the comments and I'll cry because I have to read it the podcast. <laughs> but yeah. So anyway, without further ado, please check out this interview with Dick Sloan. He is so inspirational and I hope that he'll give you 
some great advice, inspiration and, and hope if you're living with a diagnosis of prostate cancer. Enjoy the show. Hello, Dick, and welcome to the show. Hi, Corinne. Thanks a lot. Glad to be here. I'm so glad to have you. And I've already given a little bit of your background in the introduction. But so, so if you would just like to launch straight into your story from the very start, that would be awesome. Thank you. Sure, sure. I'd love to. So in September of 2013, I was diagnosed with prostate cancer. I was 49 years old on the eve of my 50th birthday. And uh, I had two two surgeons uh, who recommended that I have my prostate removed, a radical prostatectomy. Um, My dad had been diagnosed 13 years earlier, my dad, David Sloan, and he also told me that he thought that I should have my prostate removed because he opted not to have surgery. He had radiation instead and his prostate came back after it was in remission for seven or eight years. Um, so I had surgery scheduled. I still remember the date, April 11th, 2014. Um, I started, uh, I started going into a deep depression. Um, again, I was only 49 years old and I was looking at, uh, the potential, uh, life altering side effects of a radical prostatectomy, um, erectile dysfunction and urinary incontinence. And I was petrified. I had surgery scheduled for April 11th, 2014. I went into, uh, I didn't even know what it was because I'd never experienced it before, but I went into the first real depression of my life. Um, it was hard to focus on anything else. I was pretty terrified. I was sad. I was angry. I felt like I was somehow responsible for this, that I brought it on myself. Um, and that luckily that didn't last very long. Um, and once I kind of emerged from that, I started doing a lot of research. I started researching, um, alternative therapies for prostate cancer. And then I started talking to people and I had two very propitious conversations. I had a conversation which led me to uh, a naturopath in New York city called his name is Dr. Giovanni Espinoza, and he's the director of integrative urology at NYU Langone Medical Center. Um, And uh, I made an appointment to go see Dr. Gio, as he calls himself. And he told me that he could help me, that he had hundreds of guys just like me that were following his, his, um, his protocol, which is called proactive surveillance. So in prostate cancer treatment, there's something called active surveillance, which means You have a high PSA or you have symptoms of an enlarged prostate and, but you don't necessarily need treatment yet. So you're, you're, you're just keeping an eye on it. Um, his protocol called proactive surveillance goes a step further by basically giving you the tools and the information to, um, kind of, uh, um, manage the progression of your disease. So, uh, diet interventions, um, uh, supplements, uh, stress management, um, exercise, those, those kinds of lifestyle interventions, natural lifestyle interventions. So, um, uh, and then another conversation I had led me to, um, a medicinal cannabis oil protocol called Rick Simpson oil, um, which is a highly concentrated, um, cannabis extract, which you ingest, um, orally, uh, and, 
you know, the anecdotal evidence all over the web now of people that have used this really, really con um, um, concentrated cannabis oil to heal themselves um, from all kinds of illnesses. So I canceled my surgery. I ordered a bunch of Dr. Geo supplements. I started making the cannabis oil myself um, and I changed my diet. Uh, I went 95% vegan. Um, I started cranking my exercise up to 11. Um, I started meditating, which was for me the hardest part. Um, uh, uh, and I just generally started looking after myself much better. Uh, my PSA stabilized. Um, it came down from where it was right before, um, right when I uh, scheduled my surgery. Uh, my PSA stabilized. And then nearly two years to the day after my initial diagnosis, I went back in for another biopsy and MRI. And uh, a week later, the, the, the doctor's office called me back to tell me that there was no trace of cancer in my prostate at all. Um, so that was pretty, uh, that was a pretty incredible day to get that call. That's incredible. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Sadly, my dad was not around to hear the good news. My dad passed away of complications from his prostate cancer treatment about six months before that, um, which was terrifying Sit, sitting with him in the hospital, um, in hospice, watching him slowly kind of fade away and uh, at that point my you know still I still had prostate cancer I was not in remission at that point so it was a, it was terrifying but uh, nevertheless uh, I did get to all clear uh, in September of 2015 and uh, since then I've I've resolved to spend the rest of my life telling people that um, uh, they have much more control over their health and well-being than they realize. Yes. Oh, that's fantastic. So those two years, a lot of people, like my dad has prostate cancer, so he's just finished radiation and he's waiting for the results to say whether it's in remission or whether it's still hanging around and where to go from there. I know for him, just and a lot of people like him, when, they, when you get diagnosed with cancer, you just want it to be out of your body as fast as possible. And so when I talk about diet with people when they've got cancer or people when they've, like my dad, you know, he's just like, but I want it out now. I don't want to, I don't want to wait. I want someone to be cutting it out, burning it or lasering it, radiating it or something to happen to it immediately. Like it's this yeah. evil invader that they want to yeah. destroy. And I, 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 I get it. So how did, how did you, how did you cancel that surgery and, tr and find the trust and faith to follow this alternative approach? Yeah, uh, that's a great, a great question. And I heard that a lot. My dad told me that my dad said, just get it out, just get it out and be done with it. Um, a couple things. I started reading a lot of men's prostate cancer stories. And a lot of the stories go something like this. I was diagnosed with prostate cancer. I had my prostate removed. I was in remission. My PSA was undetectable for several years. And then all of a sudden it started creeping up again. So I kind of was like, okay, it's not a silver bullet. Number one. Um, number two, um, my dad had, uh, several other chronic illnesses in addition to prostate cancer. Um, 
uh, and I made the I, I had the realization that if I just got my prostate removed and carried on with my current lifestyle, I would just be teeing up those other chronic illnesses sometime down the road. And so I would make I was willing to make lifestyle changes not only to address my address my prostate cancer, but to address my long term health and vitality as well. And then um, finally, the third point is that I knew that I would have made the decision to have my prostate removed had um, my health taken a turn for the worse. Like I knew that it wasn't urgent. Um, I was trusting, I was trusting Dr. Espinoza who was telling me it wasn't urgent and that I could, you know, I was, all I really wanted to do was kind of wrestle my prostate cancer to a stalemate, like buy myself more time. That's all I wanted to do. Maybe I can buy myself some more time. Cause I had spoken to a, a friend of a friend who was actually the, 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 the guy that referred me to Dr. Espinoza and he had been diagnosed with prostate cancer when he was 40 and I spoke to him when he was 50. So he had been, he had been doing this program for 10 years. He wasn't in remission, but his prostate cancer just kind of leveled off. It didn't, his PSA didn't change. Um, and so I was like, okay, well maybe I can do that and uh, I can kind of wrestle it to a stalemate and keep it at bay, keep it where it is. Um, I, I was, I, I read uh, this book anti-cancer by David Servan Schreiber, and he talks about having cancer without disease. So we all have cancer cells in our body and it takes the, it, it takes the right conditions, the, uh, the internal terrain for prostate cancer to take hold for prostate cancer cells to come together, to form a tumor, to create its own blood supply, um, so that it can really sort of take hold. And I was like, okay, well, I, I, I can control my internal terrain. I can control what I eat. I can control how much I exercise. I can control how, uh, how I manage my stress and I'm going to give it a try. And if it doesn't work out, um, uh, uh, and Dr. Espinoza recommends surgery, then that's all I, I was, I was willing to consider that. So kind of, that's, how, that's where my head was at when I was thick. Cause yeah, I was terrified. I will, I will yeah. not, I can't lie. I was terrified. And so I'm walking around every day. I wake up like, Oh, I have prostate cancer. I go to sleep. I wonder what my cancer is doing. Um, but the other thing is I wanted to, I felt like my body betrayed me. And I wanted to see if I could, if I could turn it around so that my body was once again, my ally. Right. So I could, right. Um, uh, because I didn't, I didn't give it, you know, I grew up, I grew up in the States for, you know, 50 years eating, drinking, doing whatever I wanted. Uh, you know, I, I didn't have a bad diet. I didn't, I didn't eat fast food. I didn't drink soda for the last 15 or 20 years, maybe even longer. But, you know, I, 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 I ate the, the pretty standard American diet. Um, uh, and um, I said, all right, well, what, how would my body, will my body take care of me if I take care of it? And uh, that was kind of what I was, I was trying. I wanted to try that and give my body a chance to, um, to heal itself. And it worked out. I love that. And I think that that for many of our guests, other guests on this show, they do get a diagnosis and then like yourself, they think, you know, how can I make the environment, my internal environment, 
a, a health a health promoting space, you know, a space that doesn't promote disease. And but but like you say, it's a big like cancer is a different kettle of fish for most people, and most people. I don't know whether it's a lack of information or or a lack of inner, inner strength. I don't know what it is, but I know it is so terrifying. And I think that your story and you talking about it and more people like you talking about trying something different, especially with prostate cancer, as like you say, it isn't, is, it is often quite slow growing, a slow growing form of cancer and just trying nutrition as well. Even if you try nutrition as well as alongside West, more Western approach, it's something to I think is so worthwhile trying, especially because like you say, I think a lot of people and my dad included and not included now, but initially it seems like get your prostate removed and then just go on with your life. You'll be sweet. And I think that it wasn't until after like a while, a little while after he was diagnosed that we learned about the complications with prostate cancer. And it isn't sweet after having your prostate removed. There are, and I think not enough men, because I think it is super embarrassing because men carry so much of their masculinity in that area. Not enough men are talking about what the side effects are. And as you said, like it's, this is incontinence and you know, likelihood of incontinence, a likelihood of erectile dysfunction and a high likelihood of that, of that really. Yeah. And, uh, you know, again, I'll go back to I was diagnosed at 49. It's not like I was diagnosed at 69 or 75. You know, I mean, I still have, you know, a lot of life ahead of me. And I did not want to, I did not want to mess around, right, unless I really had to, unless it was a last resort. And I think that's what, I think that's the message that I want to tell people is like, um, you have a lot of options before you pull that kind of trigger that la- that that trigger of last resort like you know going on medication or having invasive surgery or um you know other treatment that you know you really can't undo right so um it, it, there's no i don't think there's any harm in trying these um lifestyle interventions to try and kick that can down the road a little bit um but it takes a lot of it takes a lot of discipline. It takes a lot of knowledge. It takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of, or, or just fear. You know, people say, wow, you know, you must, you're really brave. I was like, it was fear. It was all fear-based, right? I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be, um, impotent at the age of 49. Um, so, um, you can say it was courage. Um, I think there, there, there may be some truth to that. Um, I believed, I believed that, I had other options and I had, I had gone that kind of extra mile to talk to people that told me about these other options rather than just, you know, I had my, my local surgeon who originally diagnosed me, uh, via needle biopsy wanted to take my prostate out that week. Like there was no, there was no kind of like, all right, well, here's what you should know. Here are some alternatives. No, he just wanted to like get me in there and cut me open. And, um, you know, I had to, I had to resist the voice of authority, which was hard. And then, so I went for a second opinion down at Sloan Kettering, Memorial Sloan Kettering in the city, one of the most prestigious cancer centers in the world. I met with the co-chair of robotic surgery. He was my second opinion and he also recommended surgery. So I had two 
you know, I had my local guy and then I had, you know, the world famous guy both recommend surgery. And I had to, I had to buck that, buck that advice. Uh, I don't know how you did that because like, I, you know, I've been doing this podcast and speaking with people all across the world about diet and disease and lifestyle medicine and disease prevention and reversal. And, you know, with my, my own father, he just, he had two opinions and they both said recommended surgery and he ended up having a blood disorder that meant that they didn't want him to have surgery. They wanted him to have radiation, he said, so he, he did that. But it, it, it was even with me, his daughter, saying, Look, you just, why don't you just try this? He was just like, the doctors are the, the, you know, the authority and I'm going with them, I want this cancer out. And so I absolutely commend you on on your strength because having two people especially like when it's a really you know an expert in the field you know an expert surgeon that's held up on a pedestal as being this is the guy to go to when you have cancer i don't know it's 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 so courageous to and like you said if that i guess if the fear is strong enough but i mean if the fear is strong enough normally you just go okay take it out <laughs> do you know what i mean well it's, it was it was the fear but it was also i started in getting informed. I started, I started getting knowledge. And I, like I said, I learned that it wasn't a silver bullet, that there were still guys out there who had their prostate removed. And now all of a sudden their PSA is creeping back up and they need to go on uh, Lupron or some other uh, testosterone inhibiting surgery, uh, um, some, some testosterone inhibiting hormone therapy. My dad had to do that. And that was when my dad kind of lost his zest for life. You know, when my dad went on hormone therapy um, to slow the progression of his prostate cancer. Um, you know, it's uh, men and testosterone are in, inextricably <laughs> linked together, right? And so when you start turning off your testosterone production, you, um, you don't, you start feeling like you're not, you're not much of a man anymore. <sighs> Uh, it's just so tough because we just – I have a friend of mine, a few a few people that I know that have had cancer and, and I had – years and years ago I had to have precancerous cells removed um, from my cervix and I didn't know anything about this at the, at the time. People think they can cut it out and then – and if it's gone – and they're given the all clear, go about their regular lives. And I guess some people can for a, for a while or even forever, of course. My grandma, she had breast cancer. She had her breast removed. She went on and she lived to 93 with no cancer and died of, well, Alzheimer's and old age. But like you say, if you've turned, if your body is creating an environment that grows and helps cancer to thrive, getting it removed isn't stopping that from happening again, because you're still doing the exact same things that created this yeah. perfect yeah. storm for cancer within you? Yeah. So I open. I, I kind of, when I started learning about it and, and when I kind of stopped just taking the doctor's word for everything, when I started educating myself, um, I kind of opened this box and the box was endless. You know, there was just, there was, there was, there were doors to other boxes. And um, like I said, the, this, the, the, I learned that the, the surgery was not a silver bullet. I learned that prostate cancer is very uh, susceptible to uh, lifestyle interventions. 
Um, so I was like, wow, okay. And then I, I figured, all right, well, if I, if I make these changes to address my prostate cancer, I'll also kind of be inoculating myself against all these other all these other um, chronic illnesses, right? My dad had heart disease. My dad had high blood pressure and high cholesterol. And I was like, hmm, all those things I can, I can inoculate myself against with these changes. So even if I need to have surgery ultimately for my prostate, I'll at least have uh, a baseline of health that will, uh, will keep me, keep me, um, kind of yeah, inoculated from these other illnesses. That is that is huge as well because it's 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 people are so you know we all we all talk about you know we have a we have a no jab no play policy here in Australia and all these things we can't if you're not vaccinated you can't go to childcare and all these things but we don't think about you know the biggest killers are heart disease you know cancer stroke all these things that diet. Diet is the inoculation against, as you say, you know, diet stops you from getting those diseases and they're the leading causes of, of, of death. And yet they're not, <laughs> we're not saying you can't go to school if you keep eating cheeseburgers. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Sorry. Not that I'm like anti-vaccination. I've just, I just made me think about when you said inoculation, I was thinking, you know, where we support one type of disease prevention, but this is huge elephant in the room when it comes to diet and prevention of chronic diseases that are killing, you know, hundreds of thousands of people every, I think it's 610,000 people a year die of heart disease in the States every, every 12 months, which is a lot of people. A lot of people. Yeah. And you know, some pe- some estimates say that as much as 80% of those chronic illnesses can be um, can be avoided through lifestyle changes. You know, but that's a, that's also a lot of money. That's a lot of money being funneled into pharmaceutical companies, hospitals, you know, HMOs, doctors. So it's a big it's a it's a, it's a big you know the, it's a big money industry. Uh, I listened. I spoke with a with a guy recently. He was talking about the church, which is different. But he was talking about the church when he made this reference. But I think I think healthcare and sickness, sick care and healthcare is a bit similar. He described the church as a giant ship, which it's moving forward, but turning it in a more progressive direction is. Is, is slow. You can't turn a ship fast. And I think that same with healthcare and sick care, you know, there's so many vested interests and people and things to consider and money, 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 mainly money <laughs> to be, to be, even though it's moving in the right direction, it takes a long time to turn that ship towards diet and lifestyle intervention because it has so many key players that, that need the dollars that come with keeping the population chronically unwell. Yeah, and it's also, it's not, um, the healthcare economy is not set up to help people make these pretty dramatic lifestyle changes and sustain them, right? You know, you go in and see your primary care physician and you've got, you know, nine minutes or 11 minutes and they, you know, they look in your ear, they listen to you cough, they recommend that you exercise more. They recommend you lose 10 pounds and then that's it. You know, they stamp your paperwork and off you go. And there's not really an infrastructure to support these kinds of changes, right? Which requires a lot of coaching, right? A lot of coaching, a lot of support, a lot of um, very prescribed 
behavior. My, my dad, when my dad was diagnosed 13 years before me, there was when I was diagnosed, there was so much more information available on how to impact prostate cancer with these interventions that wasn't available when he was diagnosed. So the, it, our knowledge is moving so quickly, which is so exciting, which is why I'm excited to now be part of this part of this industry, because it's a, it's really evergreen. Right. It's it's we're, we're learning so much about disease pathways and pathologies and how to how to keep ourselves healthy, how to um, stimulate uh, all of these evolutionary adaptations that we've evolved over over eons to uh, to to help us thrive in adverse conditions. Yes, absolutely. I think, like you said, I don't talk about coaching enough because I find it so awkward selling what I do as well as what you do. But I mean, this is the future because making those big, it took me literally well, four years of of making mistakes and, and, and sacrificing my health, making mistakes, going it alone because the doctors and medical professionals, they did only have 10 minutes for me and their 10 minutes would say, take the medications or get sicker and sicker until you die. You know, waiting rooms, endless waiting rooms, four years of mucking about and you don't, they don't have the time or the expertise or understanding about diet and lifestyle recommendations to support you long term. And so people like yourself and so many, Amanda Fisher, you've got Gabriel Miller, there's so many people. I'm sorry for everyone. Jeff Tritton, uh, Tim Kaufman, there's so many, uh, Andrew Taylor, so many coaches out there that are supporting people with their programs and with their one-on-one work and whatever, you know, Main Street Vegan, there are so much FAJ, so many of us doing this, this coaching because we know that having someone to support you helps you to actually get there faster without making them as many, many, many mistakes that we ourselves may have made on our own journey. I've made so many along the way. I ended up at the end of that four years doing it by myself where I couldn't feel my legs as a result of, of doing it by myself and doing it with nine minute doctor visits every, you know, six months or four months or whatever and being told over and over again, just take the drugs that are currently available for multiple sclerosis and off you trot (laughs) and that's not enough and then you you might read about whole food plant-based diet and think oh but you you know my life was all about things in bay-marie you know i liked anything that was in a bay-marie and biscuits and chocolate bars and lollies and i you know used to smoke and drink cans of v and go, go to uni with a bag of lollies and my cigarettes and a can of energy drink and i'd chew the lollies to get through the lecture because I was so tired because I had insomnia and, you know, all these things. And the thought of changing to broccoli and not energy drinks, (laughs) changing to apples and not smoking was just, it was too much for me. So it's just great that there's people like yourself out there and like all the people I've just mentioned out there that are that can check in with you and say, you know what, how's today going? What are you eating today? How are you feeling? You know, what do you need to do this week? What's going to be a stumbling block for you this week? How are you going to slip up? What's going to be the the thing that we can put in place to stop to catch you when work's too much or your wife's too this or your kids are too stressful or you've had no sleep and you want to eat those biscuits, you know? You want a support person, a support team <laughs> if possible yeah yeah i you know that i didn't have a coach um i kind of i'm 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 personality my personality is just i 
coached myself. So I was the patient and the coach, you know, and I could, I'm lucky that I'm wired that way, that I had the discipline and that I could, I could develop a program and implement the program and follow the program. Um, it's just how I, how I am. But, um, I remember talking to my dad when we, we, we overlapped, you know, I was diagnosed in September, 2013. He passed away in June, 2015. And I remember him telling me, it's like, I, he really admired me, but he could never make those changes. He could never, you know, and I hear that a lot. It's like, that's great. That's really fantastic that you were able to do that. I don't think I could do that. Um, uh, I, and that's why when I, when I talk to people, when I coach people, I always start with why, like, why are you doing this? Why do, why is this important to you? It's not, it's not going to sustain you. It's not going to sustain the changes if you just want to look good in a bathing suit or you want to look good for your 25th high school reunion or, you know, whatever you want to, you want to be able to roll around on the floor with your grandkids when you're old, right? You really need a, that's a good one, but you really need a strong why you need to really understand why you're going to make these sacrifices, willingly make sacrifices, like willingly, instead of ordering the cheeseburger, ordering the lentils and the broccoli, you know, when you, when you're, when you're going out to dinner when, and you just, you can't do, you can't eat the things that other people eat or the things that you used to eat. And in my, in my case, I just said to myself, I did that for 50 years. That was good. Now the next 50 years are calling for something else. Um, so that's kind of how I um, wrap my head around the changes that I needed to yes. make. Yes. And so how was it initially when you did first make that change? Apart from obviously you had your why carrying you through, but there are obvious struggles, which every week we talk about um, with guests on the show. What were the initial struggles for you when making this change? Um, I really, I was surprised and I still kind of, I still kind of marvel at it that I, I dropped stuff that I ate all my life like that. I just dropped it, just dropped it. No more. You know, I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to eat steak anymore. I'm not going to eat hot dogs anymore. I'm not going to eat cheeseburgers anymore. I'm not going to eat, you know, ice cream anymore. You know, I just kind of like, I dropped this stuff because I was, I was chasing something very important. And, um, uh, it, what, what, this, the thing that I struggled with was just making time for everything, like making time for, um, you know, a full-time job, a family, a marriage, um, all, you know, my exercise, time to meditate, all of these things. I found that um, my day got very full because it, it was very intentional. I was living, I, I was now living a very intentional life. I had a mission and it was just hard to kind of fit everything in and some people um got uh um displaced <laughs> in my in my hierarchy of needs and attention um because I was trying to heal myself and you can't healing yourself is not a part-time job right anything that is causing you stress um that is exacerbating your illness um had to be kind of expunged from my life you know I had to had to figure out a way to deal with it um so it was it was it was challenging it's interesting that you say that because 
Oh, after my son was born, I didn't, it wasn't ended up being multiple sclerosis, but it was my, my, I've got TMJ dysfunction, the jaw dysfunction, but it made me get numbness in my face. So it's a symptom of multiple sclerosis that I'd had. And so I thought, oh, that's it. But it turned out it was not it. But uh, I remember saying to my my husband, because I'm very much like you, I, I constantly think of things as, is this health promoting or is this not health promoting? Because health is my, when you've been very unwell, health does become your, your number one thing. And when you're talking to people, when you have children and you say, my health is my number one thing, they're like, what about your kids? <laughs> I'm not here for my kids if I'm sick. But I remember saying to him, because my son, I was angry at him. He was being super annoying. And I said, Iggy's giving me multiple sclerosis. (laughs) He has to go. (laughs) It it kind of is is very binary, right? Is this good for me or not good for me? Thankfully, it was my jaw. I didn't have to get rid of my kid. (laughs) I'm just kidding anyway. I love him very much. But I just remember saying that. And and that's the thing. It does become like that where you're like, is this person or is this this job or is this career going to make me sick? And is that – is the payoff worth it? Obviously, when it's your kid, payoff's pretty much always worth it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah kind of have to sacrifice yeah Yeah. but i i think that that's something that people people don't often think about that it does take some conscious sacrifice and reprioritizing of what is truly important because without you none of the other things will exist yeah how can you take care of anybody or anything else if you can't take if you're not taking care of yourself Mm. it's like the you know, the airplane announcement where, you know, put the oxygen on yourself before you put it on anyone else. Right? Exactly, exactly. So with your family, how is your family with you making this switch? Because a lot of people either have really supportive families or they have families who are like, I'm never going to do that, blah, blah, and they just don't want to have any part of it. And those people I always find find it the hardest to make this switch when they don't have support in their house. Um, I had a lot of support in my house from my wife at the time and from my kids. Um, my kids were very proud of me for the, the path that I chose. Um, and my wife was very supportive uh, and we cooked together and she was happy to, um, happy to adopt that lifestyle as well. Although not as extreme as me, you know, my parents, my dad again, admired me. My mom admired me. My mom, my mom, you know, I'm going to see, going out tomorrow for Thanksgiving. I'll see her and she'll still be pushing the plate of cookies over to me, asking me if I want one. It's like, no, mom, I don't eat those anymore. Right. I, you know, it's like, I, uh, so it's, it's a, uh, I think it's hard for, it's hard for some people to wrap their head around the extent of the, of the change. Right. And what you're, you know, what, you know, what you're willing to do and eat and what you're not willing to do and eat. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's challenging for some people. I just want to, because of it, and I know you're listening to this after Thanksgiving, but it's Thanksgiving tomorrow at the time of this recording, and I just wanted to talk to you a bit about what Thanksgiving would have been like for you prior to cancer and what it's – the food, the eating, the day of eating is like for you after cancer and, and how you feel about that because it is a huge cultural 
day in America for most for most of America Americans and it's a huge change to go like when we changed for our Christmases to a plant-based Christmas well the first one we did a terrible job (laughs) 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 but it's a big adjustment for the whole family of course obviously my whole relationship to food changed um and I've been I've been fasting doing some regular fasts recently and that really changes your relationship to food because all of a sudden when you're fasting when you spend a day fasting it's a it's incredible how many times you catch yourself like about to get up out of your chair to go to the pantry to snack on some nuts or something um um and and then once you get through a couple days you start realizing how much time you have to think about other things because you're not thinking about food. You're not thinking about going shopping for food or what you're going to make or, or start more cooking. So you have, it's very expansive. You have all this time all of a sudden to think about other things. Um, and you start, you start thinking about, you start appreciating food more. You know, you start, when you start eating again, you start eating very mindfully. Um, and so that's, what I try to do now. So like a holiday like Thanksgiving, we'll have all the, you know, we'll have all the regular trimmings because I'm the only one that eats this way. Although my sister now, my younger sister, Samantha, is starting to eat this way because she's trying to uh, cure her. She's had chronic psoriasis and eczema. So she's trying to cure this skin condition and she's doing the same thing that I do, this whole food plant-based diet. Um, so I'm curious to check in with her this, this, this week and see how she's doing. But yeah, I, it's just, um, you know, I'll have, I'll probably have a third of what I would have eaten before my diagnosis, right? I was, I was a guy who would have gone and had two heaping plates full of food. Um, I was about 30, 40 pounds heavier than I am now. Um, and I would have just eaten and I would have had, you know, I wouldn't have wanted to just try one pie. I would have wanted to have a slice of pecan pie and a slice of pumpkin pie. And if there was another pie there, I would have had to try that one. You know, um, those days are over. But like I said, I did that for 50 years. I, I don't, I don't, I don't miss it. I don't miss eating unconsciously and having a relationship with food that is not based on what's best for me. It's based on whatever tradition or culture or my emotional weather. You know, I want to have a, a conscious relationship with food now. I love what you're saying. My my program's called Conscious Eat, the Conscious Eating Program, because that is what it beca- – I think after my first fast as well, it was when I really started to go, whoa, my brain has so much more space. <laughs> when it's not that was part of it when it's not taken up by food and thinking about day three i didn't want to start eating again my husband was like you have to eat again and i was thinking why i feel so good (laughs) like it's just i feel free like i've been in this food prison for 38 years and now i've had the day by day one you're like oh my gosh but day three i was just thinking i don't want to eat again i just like having my day to do stuff i don't have to think about three meals not advising this for anyone who's got an eating disorder or you know is trying to is going to starve themselves to lose weight this is i'm talking about a safe fasting well thought out planned 
alongside experts and the research around that, such as research from True North and the work done by the team at True North, who do great water fasts and juice fasts and those kinds of things. This is an, an unhealthy, starve yourself to lose weight topic. This is a health promoting yeah. topic. Yeah, but I loved it. And so conscious eating is the thing when you become aware of why you're eating and why you're putting it into your body. And it's a slow for people who've had food addictions like myself. And most people have had some variation of it. When you're eating not for survival, <laughs> you're eating not for nutrients, you're just purely shoving food in your face because it's there and you're bored or you're sad or you're angry or you're whatever. Or like you say, emotional weather, and I loved that. I'd never heard that term before. It's such a great way of talking about, I think, why most of us, I call it procrastinating. <laughs> You're just avoiding your life by shoving food into your mouth. And that, those three days of fasting, I've done it a few times now where I've just, or a day of fasting, and you're just like, wow, there's so much space to think about hobbies or joyful or art or poetry or reading or whatever it is you like. You've got so much more free free time in your head and energy i found so much energy because you're not having all that energy that's focused on digesting every two hours because you just won't stop putting <laughs> a fork to your mouth yeah after day two energy, after day the, two the, 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 yeah, yeah yes day two is day, rough. <laughs> day two is a bit rough i agree i agree i don't want to exercise on day two at all <laughs> so okay so it's been now Five years since your diagnosis? Five years, 2013? Yeah. Which yeah. is incredible. And how is life different now? In phys physically, I mean, and emotionally, always, but... I, I finished a five-day fasting mimicking diet last week, and I was, when I finished, I was at the same weight um, that I was at when I graduated high school, when I was 18 years old. Um, so I, I feel great. I have a ton of energy. Um, I, I feel like I'm in, you know, I'm in the best shape of my life. Um, and, uh, this is my new life now. You know, this is kind of, this is what I expect for the rest of my life, whether I'm 54 or 64 or 74, um, uh, and beyond, you know, this is, this is the new normal for me. And this is what I, um, this is what I expect. And this is, uh, this is what, why I work so hard. So what would a day of eating be like for you now? Like what would today look like of food? Um, so typically I will, um, I'll do like a, uh, five, four or five days a week. I will have a restricted eating window. So I won't eat after eight o'clock at night and, um, I'll wake up in the morning. I'll have, uh, some warm water with apple cider vinegar and a little honey, and I'll take my supplements, you know, essentially my breakfast. Uh, and I will not eat until, I don't know, like, a, like 11 or 12. Um, so I want to get like 16 hours of fasting in a day for those four or five days. Um, and then I'll have either I'll have like a salad um, with a plant-based protein for lunch, um, or I'll make, I'll have, you know, something left over, but it's always, it's always some kind of either roasted or stir fried vegetables and some kind of legume like lentils or something for, uh, for plant-based protein. Um, 
I eat a lot of nuts. I like nuts, almonds. Uh, try not to eat too many cashews because they're, you know, they're a lot of fat. Um, I like pecans. I like fresh fruit. Um, uh, and then dinner is some. If I if I if I had a salad for lunch, then I'll have some kind of vegetables, stir fry vegetables um, uh, or roasted vegetables for for dinner. Yeah, delicious. It sounds so yum. And uh, just, I always think about meals like that as being so colorful and great and full of nutrients. And that's kind of what you want to flood yourself with, especially when you're trying to prevent or reverse a chronic disease, especially like cancer. Yeah. One of the things that I, um, that I did for those two years um, uh, in between my diagnosis and my remission and which I still try to do today is fresh juice, fresh vegetable juice. So spinach, kale, cucumber, apple, lemon, ginger. Sometimes I'll throw turmeric in there, turmeric root, um, sometimes beets and carrots. Uh, I try to go easy on the root vegetables because there's a lot of, a lot of sugar, um, but a lot of green. So like a green juice, uh, a, a really high antioxidant alkaline inducing green juice, uh, Every day, every other day, maybe. Yeah, I love green juice as well. It's so refreshing. In summer, in winter, I find it harder to slam it down. But in <laughs> summer, I really like it. Uh, and I think that goes along with what the the, Gers the Gerson kind of therapy, which I'm not an expert in at all. But I know that they have, and we have here the Gola Foundation programs for cancer healing, and they all promote you know lots of vegetable juices. Whole you know colorful nutrient dense vegetable juices and green juices so it seems like that's really really key for lots of people in using nutrition to treat their cancers yeah you're flooding your blood your blood with all these nutrients you know and you're not you know you're not really having to digest it you know you've it's basically pre-digested by removing all the fiber and so it's just just flooding your system um yeah, I love I love the way it makes me feel. I like I like the green smoothies for that reason as well, like a green smoothie. But it's, it's different. It's a different kind of thing again. Like a, a green juice is a different kind of boost, super boost <laughs> than a than a green smoothie. Even uh, I guess because you're not having all that fiber, so you're not you're losing energy digesting it as much as what you are when you're getting that fiberless juice hit. Okay. I'm so glad that you've come on the show, Dick, because obviously I'm going to make my dad listen to this. <laughs> and you know, his health is so important to me because I love him so much. And I think that your story is going to help so many people. And, and women listening who have partners who might be unwell or aren't taking care of themselves or are eating a diet that's maybe high in processed meats, which have been you know, linked to prostate cancer, such as prostate cancer um, and colon cancers and those kind of things. And there's lots of men out there who love those barbecues, those hot dogs, like you say, those steaks, and they're all being linked to cancer formation. So it's really great to have you on the show. And I think as well, talking about this, because people just don't talk about that prostate cancer isn't, it isn't a victimless kind of cancer. I think people think that it's just this benign cancer that's, that leaves no trace of itself once your prostate's been removed. But like you say, this is erectile dysfunction. This is a big deal to relationships, to marriages. This is a big deal to single people and married people and every, per every man out there who wants to have a functioning 
penis. Now, I know that there's – and I haven't edited it because I find it hard to do. A woman listened to this podcast that I talked about this uh, on episode, I think, 46. And I can't remember your name if you're listening. And I said that you end up impotent and incontinent as a you ha- that's that's the only option and she said you know my husband's not impotent and he's fine and you said that and you shouldn't have said that and I apologize for generalizing I think I just got carried away because I was at the time so deep in my dad's treatment and I was just so upset for him and my family and I know it's not every time but for lots of people it is the case that they end up impotent or incontinent and it's it's not spoken about enough and so I'm really glad that you're here raising this awareness because that is a quality of life issue that for most men no one wants to go through that. Yeah, especially if you're on the younger side, right? If you're again, if you're if I was 75, it would, may have been a different different um, calculus that I made. But you know, also, you know, my story is a prostate cancer story, but it could easily be a heart disease story. It could easily be an obesity story. It could easily be a, um, you know, high blood pressure story. It could be any one of those things. Absolutely. So Dick, what would be your three biggest tips for anyone listening who's either in a relationship with someone who might have prostate cancer or, or they have prostate cancer themselves or they're trying to avoid it what would, and they want to take up this lifestyle, what would be your three biggest pieces of advice? I would, I would urge people to pick up a book like Anti-Cancer by David Servan Schreiber um, to really understand what the cancer pathways are and how cancer develops and um, uh, how you can slow down its progression. Um, and of course, not all cancers are susceptible to being managed in that way. So I would never tell someone, you know, my story would be very different if I had glioblastoma, for example, brain cancer. Um, uh, It would be a very different story. Um, Probably not a happy ending either. Um, uh, uh, So I would urge them to get educated. I would urge them to talk to as many people as possible that either have had prostate cancer um, or know someone that have had that has had prostate cancer and you know you get you get a wide range of information from those people and uh, and then the third thing and it, it is it is the synthesis of those of the first two things which is create a program for yourself that synthesizes all of the best available information that you've gotten from your network, that you've gotten from your research, and that you're getting from your doctor or doctors, your specialists. Um, and be informed. Be informed so when you walk into your doctor's office and they are urging you toward a particular course of action, that you know the questions to ask. So if they're asking you, if they're recommending that you have surgery, you ask them, well, does this mean that I'll never have prostate cancer again? I'll never have to worry again? Um, are there any other alternatives for me to um, uh, for me to address my illness, right? Can I, uh, it, what are the other options? Um, because, you know, a surgeon will 
recommend surgery. A radiologist will recommend radiation. Um, so you have to you have to be your own best informed health advocate. Um, it's it's important. You can't leave that. You can't leave it to someone else. Absolutely. That is such a great point. And I think so many people, even myself included, you know, we did, I did leave my health in the hands of, of experts. And, and then once I started to do the research myself, then I began to question everything. And it is, it, it seems, it can be annoying for doctors <laughs> when you, when you walk in. But it has been the best thing I've ever done for myself, becoming informed, becoming empowered. Whenever I have a health problem to seek out the gentlest route that's the best for my overall health and well-being with the least consequences or side effects from me adopting whatever it is that I'm adopting. I think it's so important. And for me, even like, not that this is about it, but for me, when it came to being pregnant, when you get, when you're pregnant, everyone just, all doctors and everyone just cram, your relatives, everyone just tells you how to be pregnant, how to have a baby, where to do it, what hospital, every single thing. And it, especially for your first, obviously. And so it was great to already be in my journey enough to have the confidence to go, okay, what what experience do I want? How do I want this to go? Where can I find the information? Who can I speak to that's had incredible births, that had the best births, that had the most painless, stitch-free, complication-free births and go down that rabbit hole as far as I could go. And I ended up having two incredible births as a result of educating myself and informing myself and going after the birth that I wanted. I know that's not everyone who's listening's cup of tea if you're not pregnant or planning on being pregnant, but I mean – this isn't just a, you know, what to do when you have cancer. This is something to do when you have any kind of thing that's typically a medical problem that people do a certain way and the complications are, you know, erectile dysfunction, cutting it out. Other, other, there's other huge issues like women having tra- traumatic births and tra- births that they get PTSD from or postpartum depression is triggered or all those kinds of things because of the cons- complication Not that's not – the only cause of PTSD or postpartum depression, just to specify that, but I mean, clarify that, but yeah, there's sometimes we think that the one way, like cutting your cancer out or going and getting a booked in for a planned cesarean is the easiest, most straightforward route to dealing with a an issue like birth or like cancer because we're terrified of it. But often if you look a bit deeper, you can find a solution that is like dicks, <laughs> you know, where you can live well or have a great birth like mine or, you know, have, you know, a life that's you've got a f- fully functioning penis <laughs> and you're not incontinent. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think it's about like how important is it to you? Right. My prostate cancer was really important to me. Right. Your pregnancy and the kind of birth that you wanted to have was really important to you and you weren't willing to, and I wasn't willing to keep, leave it in the hands of the so-called professionals, right? I wanted to, I wanted to be as informed as I possibly could. So I could make sure that, um, I tried everything that was available that I knew about. And so if I needed to have surgery that I could have said, well, at least I tried everything, 
right? At least I tried everything and I don't have to second guess myself. Yes. And I think that I, I just want to say, but before people write to me and say, you know, nothing wrong with having a plan cesarean, there is nothing. If that is what you as a person, like Dick and I are a certain type of, you know, a certain type of person who wanted to have a bit of control over bit more control and I I wanted a lot of control over my health and of my birth you don't have to do what we did like I'm not saying that if I if I was the type of person who was I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being that type of person it just wasn't for me personally so if you are and you say you've had a lot of trauma and you want to plan cesarean go for it you know there's no shame on you for doing that at all there's no shame on people like my dad who want to get go the surgical surgical route it's just not for us and this podcast isn't about this is about healing with a plant-based diet. So, of course, we're going to be focusing on that as, uh, you know, on that kind of way. So, I mean, if it was a podcast on surgeries, then it would be support, you know, promoting that way of going about it or about going about a birth in that way as well. So, it's just my own journey or ever journey that you're on is yours and I am not saying anything negative against it. It just wasn't for me. But who knows? Different life? That could have been exactly the path I would have chosen. Yeah, I'm uh I get calls all the time from, you know, friends of friends or a one a woman's brother or uncle or cousin with prostate cancer and they say, What should I do? And I say, I'm not gonna tell you what to do. I'm gonna tell you what I did, the process that I went through I'd be happy to help you if you're interested in any facets of my healing journey. Um, yeah. um, but you need to figure out what's right for you, right? It's, it's your tolerance for risk. It's your willingness yeah. to change. It's your discipline. It's your commitment. It's your, you know, your tolerance for discomfort. It's all those things. And I totally agree. And Jeanette Murray Wakeland, she is a cancer survivor as well. And she was on this podcast. Oh, I'm sorry if I've forgotten the number. I think it's in the, I don't, I'm on, honestly, might be 19, somewhere in the early, below 30, Jeanette Murray Wakeland's in there. And she talks about her own cancer recovery from terminal breast cancer diagnosis. And she, I've mentioned it many times on this podcast, but she talks about how this isn't a prescription. You're never going to do it just like Dick's done it. And, you know, you might not go about birth or go about healing multiple sclerosis or whatever, exactly the way I've done it. Like we we are different. Like there are different ways of doing a whole food plant based diet. There are different ways of timing, scheduling your day, what type of exercise you like. There are different ways of doing it and going about it. You have to find out what's right. Listen to our stories and the stories of the guests on this show, and take what's going to work for you with your family, with your lifestyle, with your experiences, and all those things. You know, and and if you feel like you're not strong enough, get support, someone to help you, like Dick. You know, reach out to them, find him on social media, you know, find the people who are doing it the way that you would like to do it and try your best to emulate them or to talk with them, to email them, to reach out to them, to get them in your corner because it really helps to have people that aren't frightened as well. If that makes sense, because a lot of people are frightened as well. Mm -hmm. So they say, cut it out like Dick's dad did and my dad did and everyone around those people, most people do cut it out or get the epidural or whatever it is and do the thing. And if you're not wanting to, if you're wanting to do that, great. But if you're not wanting to do that, Find the people who have done it the way you want to do it and literally just be tunnel visioned around them because that's what I think worked for me and focusing on the the people who I wanted to be like, I just really put 
all my social media. I blocked out, unfollowed people who were negative. I unfollowed people who were MS. I didn't join any MS groups for years because I I wasn't strong enough inside to see their stories and not imagine myself as that future. Does that make Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can, it's a very personal journey. It's a very personal journey, and yeah, what? That's why I'm very clear. This is my story. This is my journey. If you can, if you can use it, great. If there are elements of it that you can use, great. But your journey is going to be different. And um, I try to. Uh, Again, I go back to I try to inspire people to find out why this is why their health is important to them, right? Um, and uh, and I can then give them recommendations for how to uh, how to pursue wellness, um, whether they're trying to recover from a chronic illness or they just want to make sure that they have. Um, you know, they have as much resistance to illness in order to grow old gracefully as possible. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I'm so glad that you're out here, Dick, doing this and spreading this message and helping these people because it's so important. So it was so great to have you on the show and so great to meet you. And if you have a social media link, I'm going to put it in the show notes at the introduction. So, but if obviously, please Tell us where we can find you here as well so we can mention it in two places in the podcast. Yeah, great. And thank you for uh, for carrying the torch too for, for all of us and giving us all a platform to tell our stories and to inspire people and give people hope uh, that there are uh, there's a world of alternative modalities of treatment out there. And, um, you know, it sounds like you're you're getting to all of them and you're promoting them. And I, that is a, a really commendable thing. So thank you very much. And thanks for giving me a platform also. Um, so I started a, a, a coaching and consulting, healthcare consulting business. You can find me at healthwarriorway.com. I love that name so much. And my tagline is, how long are you going to wait before you demand the best for yourself? Um, because that's what it really is. Like, How long are you going to wait before you take this one precious life that you have seriously. You can wait for a prostate cancer diagnosis or a heart disease diagnosis. You can wait until your doctor says you need to, you need to go on statins for the rest of your life to manage your heart disease. Or you can, you can, uh, you're more than welcome to borrow my story uh, if you need a sense of urgency, right? That's what I want to, I want to inspire in people a sense of urgency to make these changes that they need to make in order to um, be as, you know, as healthy and as uh, resistant to uh, disease as possible. I love it. I love it. I love your catchphrase. And I, I really think it is inspiring. And I think that that urgency is something that most of the guests on the show talk about that, we wish we didn't have to wait till there was a gun to, you know, there was a metaphorical gun to our head before we decided to make these changes to our diet. And every single person who comes on this show, the only regret most of us have is that we didn't start eating this diet, this, this way of eating sooner so that we got to really enjoy this amount of energy and zest for life. In my early 20s, my 20s were a write-off. I was so sick and overweight and I wish that they were – I was traveling the world and doing all these amazing things, which I didn't do because I was in bed 
and so sick. You know, I, I we only wish that we could turn back the clock to be living this well in our early 20s, 30s, you know, and for and forever. And we're glad that we get to do it now, but it would have been great to <laughs> be doing it, you know, from you know, from birth. And I always talk about, I used to say to my mum, I want a tattoo here that says, I want like an elastic band or a tattoo that said, you know, you, well, I'm going to swear. So if you've got kids in the car, turn the volume down. <laughs> but I used to want to get a tattoo on my hand that said, you're still fucking sick. Because when you feel good, you think I'm going to have that, fu- I'm going to have that chocolate. I'm going to have that cake. Cause I feel pretty, I feel good. You know, I feel really good. And so for those four years where I yo-yoed, I'd feel good because I would go on this way of eating. And so I would eat the cake, the biscuit, the thing, and then I'd relapse. And I every time, and then that last time when I couldn't feel my legs or below the waist, couldn't feel my vagina, I couldn't feel myself go to the toilet, I couldn't feel anything. And I said, I need something like a t- electric shock thing or a tattoo or something that says, you're still fucking sick, don't freaking eat the cake, you know, like don't do it. And it's hard to not eat it when you feel well. And a lot of people, they feel okay right now. They might be listening thinking, I feel really great. I'm going to keep eating the cake. But damage is still being done. You're still creating an environment, in- internal environment that – Sometime now, your great uncle Mike might have lived to 436 because he smoked and he drank and he ate only lard on bread for his whole life. Good for him. He's an exception, not the rule. Most people, 70% of people are living with some form of chronic disease and it's mostly caused by diet and lifestyle. So, uh, yeah, I, I agree that we need a sense of urgency. And so healthwarriorway.com, you can find Dick. He can help you create that sense of urgency. He can help you find your why and give you all the tools you need to decrease your likelihood of getting all the high, you know, heart disease, strokes, Alzheimer's, obesity, cancers, all that, like many forms of cancer can be prevented with this way of eating. So go to healthwarriorway.com, find Dick. He's a gun. He's going to be on your team and helping you to be your best, healthiest self. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for that. Really appreciate it. You're so welcome. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Dick. Okay. Thank you, Corinne. Sorry for swearing, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Dick, for coming on the show. Thank you all so much for listening. Now, don't forget, you can find more from Dick and his coaching support over at healthwarriorway.com and on Facebook, social media, everywhere at Health Warrior Way. And if you haven't yet subscribed to this podcast, I put out new episodes as of this, well, as of two weeks, three weeks ago, every Sunday slash Monday and then every Thursday slash Friday. So twice a week, I put out new episodes over at Apple Podcasts and Stitcher app for Android. And you can also... Uh, listen to the first 22 episodes. I know I said ages ago I was going to get them all up on YouTube. I'm doing my best. It's, just, it's a lot putting out two episodes a week and it was a lot putting out one episode a week. And where I live, the internet is terrible. So uploading to YouTube just takes so, is, is an ordeal. So there's 20, 22 over at YouTube if you want to listen to the first 22. They are great ones over there. You know, multiple sclerosis episodes. We've got you know, um, Crohn's disease, rheumatoid arthritis, doctors, experts, Dr. Colbel Esselstyn. They're all over on YouTube if you want to listen to it over there. 
And you can also join my Facebook group, which is called Thriving Plant Based. Ask to join and you can join in there. And I you know, post and share videos, stories, encouragement, all those kinds of things. And what else? Oh, if you haven't yet liked my Facebook page, Corinne Ninja Facebook page, over there I post other stuff and obviously the updates of all the latest episodes, information about guests, recipes, resources, all those kinds of things for anyone who wants further support with adopting a whole food plant-based diet and just feeling better in general. You can follow me there. Otherwise, I will see you next week. Thank you for everyone who who supports this podcast, listens to it rates, reviews, does all those things. It really, really helps this podcast to reach more people. And that is my mission in life um, is to share these stories, stories like Dick's stories like, and also as a side point, it's to, especially a lot of these people on this show have now started supporting other people. And so your support of this podcast means that their messages get out there and then they, they're ability to reach more people themselves and to help more people themselves. You know, people like Amanda Fisher, Gabriel Miller, Dick Sloan, Tim Kaufman, you know, whenever you support this podcast, you're supporting all these people who are out there doing their best to spread these messages. You know, Jenny Cameron, Malcolm Mackay, Dr. Corbel Esselstyn, you know, every single person that's been on this show, Andrew, Dr. Andrew Davies, Dr. Andrew Pennington, Robin Shooter, so, so many people have been on this show, experts and professionals. Claire Mann with her book, Vistopia. We've had Dr. Ash with her book, Staying Positive in a Fucked Up World, for people who are, you know, change agents, activists, innovators who are wanting to stay positive in a world that can be difficult to navigate. Uh, her book is great as well. You can find that book on at revolutionme.com.au slash book. Um, There are so many great people out there and this podcast, your support of this podcast helps promote them and their incredible work, helping to speak to people, motivate people, coach people, you know, provide meal plans for people. There's just so many people out there. So yes, thank you so much for your support. And I'm so very grateful for everyone who's come on this show, everyone who's shared their story, everyone who is out there doing their best to spread this message any way they can, even if it's just with a like or a share or a comment or leaving a rating, leaving a review, or if it's coaching, if it's running potlucks, if it's doing movie screening, events, anything, you know, working with patients face-to-face, you know, whatever it is, I'm so grateful because every single person that we touch who starts to heal, who starts to feel better, you know, the more people who feel better out there, Adam Guthrie, he has his great magazine, I Feel Good magazine, which you can subscribe to over at I Feel Good, the I Feel Good website or follow I Feel Good on social media. There are so many people out there doing incredible work, creating content for you to keep you feeling motivated, inspired and keeping you on a whole food plant-based diet for life. It's the best diet for your health. It's the best diet for the planet. It's the best diet for the animals. It's just a triple win way of living. And yeah, everyone who's out there doing their best to promote this way of living. I'm just so grateful to all of you. So thank you. If you're doing your part by supporting this podcast, you know, giving the ratings, it 
makes such a difference and it helps support all of those people out there doing such amazing, incredible work. Sorry if I left you off my list. I love you. Uh, oh, ah, I'll just mention it one more time. Food is medicine, Tony and Elizabeth. <laughs> I love you guys. And they're great. Follow them on social media as well. They have a great website and obviously Jenny Cameron and her and Deb Plowman with their whole food plant-based Aussies. Elizabeth. Oh, sorry. Esther Loveridge with her Facebook group, Esther's Plant-Based Journey. I think, no, Esther's Nutritional Journey is wonderful. Esther is 75-year-old powerhouse who I love so much. Her work and everything is fantastic. Hi, Esther. Um, yeah, I'm just giving you a big shout-out, Love Fest, for episode 64 because I just love you all so much. Oh, obviously, Jeanette Murray-Wakelin and her book and documentary, Raw, the documentary, all of those people are so – oh, James Asp, he's been on the show. Oh, there's just so many good people. I can't remember them all. But anyway, all of your support promotes all of them. Andrew Taylor, Spud Fit, his work. It's just incredible. They have his, his books, his e-books. Go find them. Um, Chef AJ, Main Street Vegan, Victoria Moran. You know, there's so many good people out there. Go back through the episodes, find them all, listen to them all, like them all. Um, raw Texas Texas fruitarian um, with Rebecca. Um, there's just so many. So go back, listen to them all, give them all a thumbs up, a like, share them all over social media, and you'll support all of those people who are out there helping people with Hashimoto's. With oh gosh, now I just keep thinking about people who I've left off. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I love you all so much. Go back and look through them all, and you can find them and they're all doing great work um yes all right love you have a great week and thanks for listening